Welcome to episode five of the club. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. It's a simple question with a complicated answer. What does it take to get better at golf? Of course, the physical side of the game is crucial. You won't get very far with bad swim mechanics or equipment that doesn't match your game. But golf challenges all of us mentally more than just about any other endeavor you can name, whether that's in sports or in life. We've all felt a surge of confidence or on the other side, total hopelessness in our abilities. Understanding how to harness positive energy is often the difference between a good round or a terrible round. Today, we're all gonna learn a little bit more about what goes into all of that on the psychology side. As I talk to Tom Burnett, an instructor out of St. John's Golf and Country Club in St. Augustine, Florida. Tom runs his own golf academy there. You can look him up at tomburnettgolfacademy.com also on social media by the same name. This is a guy who has worked with former Players Champion Matt Kuchar, former U.S. Women's Open Champion Birdie Kim, a long list of strong collegiate and professional players, but also just the normal recreational golfer doing everything he or she can do to get better. Tom is not just a swing instructor. He views the game more from a holistic approach where the mental side is paramount. When he evaluates a golfer at his academy, what type of person that is emotionally and how their brain works is a huge piece to how he teaches them. I think you're going to learn a lot hearing his description of that process and what it means for the average player out there. So without further ado, here's a discussion with Tom Burnett on the psychology of the player. So before getting into the mental side, I kind of wanted to start with your background in golf because you have, you have a really cool story about how you got into teaching. Um, can, can you kind of take me back to college when you hurt your neck and, and kind of how that influenced your path? We were having a qualifying match and uh, I was doing really well. I would worked really hard um, to, to make it to a team, to make it on University of North Florida's team. I played for FCCJ. Uh, both the teams were in contention for national championships. UNF actually won national championships that year. All of a sudden, I was getting a shock going down my left arm. Every time I swung and got close to impact, um, uh, it was like an electric bolt going down to my fingers. And um, uh, I had nerve conduction studies, uh, MRIs, uh, went and saw Jim Andrews up in Birmingham. And basically, they didn't really have an answer. Uh, so then I kind of switched my degree from business to kinesiology, exercise physiology, and biomechanics. Um, as I went and, 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 uh, also seek the job working for David Ledbetter, who was the number one teacher in the world at the time. And from what I found out, as I was looking through it, my technique was poor. Uh, I had kind of a compulsive personality. I wouldn't stop practicing. I kind of over pushed myself. Uh, and there wasn't really enough people enough coaches around the world who really kind of understood how to develop people. So then I changed um, what I was going to do. And then I decided I want to make sure that um, uh, uh, young athletes wouldn't experience what I went through. If I have the opportunity to, to provide education for it. And, and what was it about your technique that kind of led you to, to kind of hurt yourself? It, I would, I, and the way I transitioned, I would, pull very hard with my arms it would cause my arms to widen on the way down or my elbows to spread apart it kind of made my shoulder and my neck more susceptible uh so there's a twisting and a and a bending going on through c5 c c6 that created too much stress and it created a, like an abnormality into that joint and 
that was causing the uh, uh, my neck, my left arm, my shoulder to 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 stiffen up and and eventually fall into that neurological condition I had. Wow. So, you know, after you kind of went through that, it, it obviously influenced you to become a teacher. Um, you, it sounds like you kind of wanted to learn uh, how that process worked and, you know, how, how that was going to affect students of yours moving forward. So kind of what did you learn at the, the Ledbetter Academy that kind of uh, pushed you forward on that path? Well, at the time, there was no such thing really as developmental golf. And down in what's currently called IMG Academy, uh, 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 you would come and board there from, uh, uh, we had players from around the world and they would be there for two, three, four years at a time. And they were there for mental, technical and physical training. And, um, uh, so the unique aspect of it was, uh, if you're learning under sports psychologists, uh, if you're learning under, um, you know, our, our, our trainer was Mark Verstegen. Uh, he's been coined as the guy who developed core training he kind of coined the phrase of that um uh, we had a lot of very unique professionals down there that were training us we went through a very specific two-year development training program and we were supervised by sports psychologists we were supervised by senior coaches we were supervised by uh great physical trainers and uh and we were encouraged to participate uh, uh in the program so it, it um it was really, it, it puts a, a coach like that, even a young coach, and it's funny, I, you know, I was 30 years old, and my, the coach I was working under was 26 years old, and, 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 he, was, and he had a psychology background. Uh, so they hired the best and the brightest that they could in the area, uh, uh, and these guys came from all over the world to, to work there. So it, it was the forefront That's... at the time uh, uh, when we were there, so... It was unique because, uh, you know, David Gossett, Sean O'Hare, uh, I was coaching Ari, Ari Song. She was 11 years old and leading the Ladies' U.S. Open. So we were getting uh, the best of the best from the juniors at that time. That's that's really cool. So kind of walk me through, when someone first walks into your, your academy now and you're starting the evaluation process, both physical, mental, that, that holistic approach, um, what does that look like? How, can you kind of take me through your steps in, in that process? Uh, it's what we do is um, we'll interview the parent uh, uh, um, and the child to make sure that they're matched for what we do. So they're interviewing us as well as we're interviewing them. Uh, uh, so we want to make sure everybody's goals are the same. Usually if there's something that doesn't quite work out, uh, there's an intent either by the child or by the parent or the uh, uh, and the coach isn't brought in on the same page. So we get everybody on the same page and say, this is kind of how we do things. This is how we travel tournaments and stuff like that. And then we do a, a full um, valuation where we do TPI, physical valuation. And we've got uh, 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 trainers that have their PhD and their master's in PT. And uh, uh, so we'll run them through a physical evaluation to make sure uh, we know how to set up the training programs that they'll go to anywhere from two to three times a week uh, the, on the physical side. The, um, uh, uh, the techniques will evaluate all the way from chipping, pitching, woods, irons, uh, uh, lob shots, bunker shots, all the techniques go under video. Uh, we have ultrasound for putting, uh, 3D imaging for golf swing. We have um, uh, uh, radar for, for ball flight. Uh, 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 as well as uh, uh, the strong technical background that we have in equipment so we can kind of match technique 
uh, or we, we like to get the, the equipment to match the technique we're teaching. And, uh, and the final, what we do is we do a, for, you know, more of the interest in the kind of the guideline of what you're going with on this story is uh, brain mapping. So we'll, mm-hmm. we will um, uh, send over to Dave Belkin. He's our sports psychologist, been with us for 20 years. And we will do a um, EEG and, and put a helmet on the player's head and we'll measure uh, 18 different spots in the brain. So we'll measure different brain waves, delta, theta, alpha, beta, and high beta. Uh, and then from there, uh, we'll measure absolute power, relative power, amplitude, asymmetry, coherence, and phase lag. Basically, these are all kind of fancy words uh, that tells us how all the um, electricity works in their head. So to break it down and make it easier, we want to see how um, active the brain is in different speeds. So delta being a very slow speed, we want to see if there's activity in slow brain waves, and beta being a very high speed, we want to see if there's act- activity in beta brain waves. Uh, in uh, how the brain talks to itself in the coherent side. So we're checking for connectivity. Does the front of the brain uh, communicate with the back of the brain very well? Does the emotional side of the brain uh, connect with the cognitive side of the brain very well. And we look for disconnects. So what we find is that if a brain is fast or slow, that doesn't mean that um, um, uh, there's anything to do with intelligence. It just has to do with the, kind of the, the power of the brain. And then does the brain think a lot? Does the brain uh, get triggered by emotion real easy? Is there a disconnect in how that brain uh, interprets feel or interprets visuals? And what this does is this gives us a, a map of how to coach this player. So if we have a player that has a slower brain wave, that's a player that we can kind of push. If we have a player that has a faster brain wave, this is a player that we need to kind of soften up and be very encouraging around. Uh, so it, it, uh, it educates the coach on, on the psychology of how to coach the player, uh, more or less, because a lot of times these things are genetic. You really can't change them. Um, we like to change them with, with altering drugs, that will either speed or slip the brain. But the problem with medications is that they cascade across the entire brain and they have side effects. Mm. Uh, so sometimes that can also impede on, on, on having performance too. Right. So hypothetically, if you were to bring in John Rahm or somebody who is, uh, you know, emotionally they're coming out and uh, you could see that they're, they're more of an emotional player, uh, you would be able to maybe tell that by, by the brain mapping. Uh, I've done it enough to where I can kind of pick up on, on how I communicate with the player. But a lot of times you'll see that some athletes are, are slower brainwaves. So they need something on the external to kind of, uh, trick their brain to, to, to pick up speed. And then all of a sudden you might see a, a player that looks more exuberant and shows a lot of emotion, but when they bring that emotion out or they speed their brain up naturally, it actually brings their head to a very level place as far as hand-eye coordination and feel. Mm. So it, it's it's interpreting what what is good about fast or slow that makes that player good. So c- kind of translate this for me in terms of how your your process is going to affect actual gameplay. So after you've after you've looked at this the, the brain mapping, um, take me through maybe an example of somebody that you've worked with where you've been able to use a certain method to uh, to affect them. Okay, um, Birdie Kim won the U.S. Open. Uh, Birdie's brain, and she was struggling because coaches were being confusing to her. And what would happen is her brain is thinking. It's constantly thinking. And thinking is not really good for sports, but she's such a gifted athlete on the, on the physical side 
that she could get away with thinking. So it wasn't going to be about um, trying to get her to stop thinking. It was going to be about what her thoughts were. So it w- we would stay on three or four simple thoughts. Uh, 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 Birdie, when you're thinking technique, think more speed, more rhythm. Don't think, you know, my right wrist has to be here. Mm. Um uh, another player we had was, um, and, and is actually a coach for us now, is Anders Forsberg. He's a vice Ryder Cup captain under Bernard Langer. Uh, and, and Anders' brain could shift two different, two different speeds. He could shift to a higher, faster speed, and then he could drop down to a very slow speed. This would be a confusion to a coach because what happens in different types of tension is he might experience, wow, the pressure's way too much. I can't handle it. And this is a time where you don't you don't try to be a motivating coach. You try to calm that player down. The other side might be, uh, 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 I'm not, I'm not feeling real confident right now. I don't feel good. Uh, this is where you kind of kick the player in the butt and you kind of say, "Come on, let's get this going," and you become more of the motivating coach. So what happens is if you're opposite of the emotion, the player will look at you kind of silly and kind of think that you really don't know what you're talking about. So this is where we're learning as a coach. Can you talk to me about just the uh, about confidence, this this idea of confidence. When a when a player comes to you and they say, "I I am lacking confidence in a certain area," what does that actually mean to you, and how do you kind of go about uh, addressing that with a student? Yeah, we're always going to listen to what the student says. Through experience, what I have to be mm-hmm. careful of is I have to say, "Okay, these are words that the player is saying." Your interpretation of confidence, my interpretation of confidence, might be two different things. So with the brain mapping, you've learned to say, okay, what is killing the words? But usually what happens is that there's a lot of thinking in a player and the player's sometimes trying too hard. Um, and they're thinking about uh, technique or they're thinking about outcome, which can affect motion. Uh, uh, it, it kills the hand-eye coordination. So usually when a player is trying real hard, the stress, the anxiety will, will will dampen their brain to be able to feel and to be able to see things. So a lot of times, and you'll hear the best players in the world during interviews, you know, uh, uh, just recently, David Duvall was, was talking about, you know, you just got to really give it an opportunity, which means is you take away all expectations of future and past, and you give yourself the opportunity to have the chance to score, no matter what your situation is. If you hit a bad drive, give yourself the opportunity to, to knock it near the green, maybe chip it in, or have a putt at, at worst getting par. If you're about to make a, a, a double bogey, try to put yourself in a situation to give yourself a chance at, at, at bogey. So you're, you're, you'll be constantly um, uh, trying to pull the player away from overthinking. Uh, sometimes there's just a general understanding. They don't know how to, to do something in a certain way. I was coaching a young man uh nationwide tour and he was uh you know he was ranked like 80th and all of a sudden he finished his second first and one of the things was is we were we were uh, and he ends up getting his pga tour card uh dj brigman and i said to him okay uh before we kind of start i said show me your pre-shot routine he goes i don't have one and i go what are you talking about you don't have one i go you're you're professional you're supposed to have a a, a pre-shot routine he goes i don't have one so I've learned no matter what level the player is, never expect that they know certain things. Uh, there's a, there's a, a very famous player that really didn't understand how to hit out of the bunker. And I spent um, 
uh, a full day with him in the bunker. We wasn't really getting it. I went back and I looked at all the videos and I gave him two things. He honed in on those two things. He went from 360 ranking in his bunker to number one. So it, it, um, it could be education. It could be uh, uh, as simple as pre-shot routine. It could be uh, overthinking things. It could be trying too hard. It's, it's your ability as a coach to answer their questions. It's really how you fix confidence. So just for, just for the average player, just for the average, let's say 10 handicap out there, what are some of the uh, misconceptions in the mental game? I know, I know everybody is different, so it's, there's not a, a hard and fast rule for everybody, but what are some things that you see that people just continually uh, make, make the same mistakes in terms of the mental game? Uh, it's belief. You know, <laughs> I should be able to do this. It, it's, um, you know, getting stuck and thinking of how to do it rather than realizing it's a game. I mean, Nicholas was the greatest one who said, it, you know, it's just a game played as a game. Sometimes you put an over importance on this is why you'll see sometimes when a player, if they have something on the line or if they you know have a bet with their buddy or they're playing for a beer or something like that, all of a sudden they quit thinking about what the outcome could be and they just go for the prize. You know, they're not trying to be perfect with their putting stroke because they just got a lesson. They're just trying to put the ball in the hole. And the more your brain, and we call it, you, you have to, players mm-hmm. that, that, that go from a professional level to a, that are in an amateur level, they, you know, they put these fancy words on it, like, you know, being in the zone or Zen or th- anything like this. It's really shifting your brain to a place that it performs. It's as simple as that. And psychologists have for years, you know, kind of kept this, you know, uh, area that they, that they're trying to help players with uh, uh, is to, is to get their brain to shift to an area that performs. And there's millions of books written on it. What a lot of times what we don't understand is genetically, some of us have never shifted there before. Some of us don't know quite what it feels like. And if it did, we might not think too much of it. Uh, uh, So, so um, learning how to, to, to shift your brain toward, you know, it's playing freely. Uh, it's kind of like when you drop a ball in the green and you kind of just tap it towards the hole, you know, nonchalantly, and all of a sudden it goes in from 30 feet. You know, that's, that, that's kind of the that's kind of the place where you're looking to, to get your brain to go to. Right. Like, or, or the, trying the, the second ball, and it always seems to go in whenever you're putting when you're, when you're not really thinking about it that much, right? <laughs> it, it, exactly. Because yeah. all the stress is over, you, you, you get a picture in your mind what it's supposed to look like, and all of a sudden your brain can go there very simply. Uh, be, before I let you go, um, I did want to kind of ask along those lines, you know, we live in a day and age where a lot of people are consuming golf instruction uh, nonstop on TV or through YouTube videos or even through advice from their friends. Uh, how much does the uh, the abundance of information, uh, how, how much is, is that kind of hindering people towards uh, locking into their belief or at least being able to, uh, you know, simplify the game to a place where they can understand it? You know, after coaching for so many years, you come up with people that are, they, they say, you know, I'm a student of a lifetime. I can't tell you how many, how many young players that I've had that have, have never picked up a club before that all of a sudden they should learn how to shoot even par within a year in a tournament. And then somebody who's never played mm-hmm. golf before who just retires and within two to three years shoots their age. Um, the, the beautiful thing is it's a pursuit of information. Information is getting better. Um, 
you know, all the fancy, all the fancy tools that we have now as coaches, uh, all these fancy computers, infrared and the radar and all that thing, it's not going to replace the ability to coach. These are great, great tools for us to make it easy for you to understand. Uh, uh, so the better quality of your instruction, the faster you will get better. So what used to take us a year at Ledbetter without all the um, uh, fancy tools now takes us two to three months. There's no guess, there's, there's no guessing anymore if the coach understands what he's using in, the, in those uh, tools. Uh, uh, so there's still a, a, a fundamental of application and how to teach as a coach. And there's still how to teach a player to receive information. So that, that's really the big, you know, uh, uh, unknown answer question that never gets asked is, hey, I have to make a player coachable. Sometimes a young person may take me a year to get them coachable. Uh, sometimes you have people that can take in information very quickly and apply it, and it's, it, and it's almost instantaneous. So everybody's different. Everybody's a is a different uh, um, uh, uh, problem you have to solve, and that's basically all it is: is problem solving and doing it the least painful for that player. If you had just one message for for anybody who who is uh, you know heading out just to play their normal round th- this weekend, uh, how in terms of their evaluation of you know how quickly they're able to learn and all of this, what would what would be your message to them? Oh, look, there's there's um, you know a lot of times I say, oh, I got the wrong information. I wasted all my time. Look, anytime you're learning this game, anytime that you have a club in your hand, whether it be a Top Golf whether it be on a putting green in your, in your, in your house, uh, whether it be in a simulator or whether it be on a pebble beach, when the club's in your hand, you have an opportunity to get better. And that's basically how you have to keep it. Absolutely. That's a, that's an awesome message. Uh, Tom, thanks so much for, for hopping on and, and joining us. That was a, that was a really fun conversation. And, uh, for anybody else who wants to, to, find out more about you uh they could they could obviously go to your uh, your academy website or is there any, anywhere else that they could find more uh, more instruction from you uh we're going to start putting some uh snippets on social media you can see how well our players are doing on social media monique Jaswaldi and tim have been doing a good job at putting all our accomplishments on there uh we we've had over 200 division one scholarships we've got a number of professionals on uh various tours around that we're showing all their progress uh, uh, so social media website, uh, there's a lot of good information or you can just even give us a call. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, very cool. Well, Tom, th- uh, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on and, uh, and, uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to Tom Burnett for coming on the podcast. Our first few episodes of the club have been mainly focused on the golf swing, but the mental side is so fascinating. And I think Tom understands it better than most, so that was great to have him on. My takeaway from that conversation was all about understanding who you are as a person and how it relates to who you are as a golfer. A lot of people may not have access to to brain mapping, but you can tell a lot about who you are as a golfer from who you are in your day-to-day life. Take Tom's example of coaching Birdie Kim, former U.S. Women's Open champion. Tom talked about how she could just not handle overly technical swing thoughts because her brain couldn't process that. But when she was asked to think about tempo, she could process that. Some people are the opposite. They thrive when you tell them to focus on how their hips have to start transitioning before their downswing starts or something very technical along those lines. 
If you are someone who needs to know the ins and outs of every detail in order for you to believe in something, then you will probably benefit from more technical swing thoughts. Look at how you operate every day. Can you multitask or can you only focus on one thing at a time? Identify your work style and then consider what swing thoughts would be appropriate. One thing I think is important, and you heard Tom mention it, describe your pre-shot routine to yourself. And no, pre-shot routines do not have to be a minute long. They could be 15 seconds long and still very effective. But a lot of this is common sense. Be intentional with your swing thoughts and be realistic about how that impacts you as a player. As a reminder, if you have any questions at all, whether that's about draft golf, how to get better as a golfer, the mental game, anything at all, you can either DM us at Instagram at graphgolf or send an email to theclub at graph.golf. This week's question comes from Josh Heshka. Josh says, finally broke 90 this week. Any tips on how to break 80? My advice to you on your pursuit to break 80, before you go changing anything about your golf swing, evaluate where you are spending unnecessary shots right now with your current capabilities. When you're making double bogeys on par fours, is it because you're out of position off the tee? Or are you getting around the green in two shots, but taking four shots to get down from there? Once you have answered that question, come up with a game plan to address it. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a problem with everything 70 yards and into the hole. You are consistently needing multiple shots to reach the green, even from short yardages. Before you go changing your wedges or mechanics about how you pitch the ball, look at what clubs you're using. You always grab your 56 degree. If you do, I'm begging you. Do not do that. It will be very difficult to break 80 that way. Even if you don't have time to practice, next time you're playing and have a moment, take your putter, your eight iron, maybe even a hybrid. See how each of them works when you're using them from off the green. Of course, your 56 degree or whether you use a lob wedge or whatever else it is, is useful for a reason, but it's not meant for every single shot around the green. And using it everywhere is going to get you in trouble because you're taking on more risk in a lot of situations. So my advice to you, Evaluate where you are spending shots, look at your approach, and update your game plan. I promise you'll be in much better shape after that. So once again, thanks to Tom for coming on the show. Thank you to Josh for the question, and thank you to all of you for listening. That's all we have for this episode of The Club. We'll see you again next time.